on one of my tangents. Uh, Chuck Swindoll once did a message on the, the bride of Christ. You know, the church is the bride of Christ. The Bible says it, okay? And we are waiting to go back and have the groom to come down like he does in the Jewish church, the Jewish wedding ceremonies, and snatch the bride and take us back up to heaven. But he did an interesting acronym that the church is the bride, but so he used the acronym WIFE. And the four aspects of the church, W-I-F-E, worship, instruction, fellowship, and evangelism. I go, that just... You know, good old Chuck Swindoll, every so, every so often, him, Max Licato, they just, you know, they hit it, and I take it, and I run with it. Because we know 90% of pastor's sermons are, are, are plagiarized anyway. So, um, and those are my words, not theirs. Uh, um, but anyway, so of those four, worship, instruction, fellowship, and evangelism, fellowship is one of them. And what we just had was another five, six minutes of just fellowship, and that is a unique um, blessing for the church. You can always socialize. You can socialize anywhere. But fellowship is that kindred spirit through the blood of Jesus Christ and through the church and through the family of God. So well, that was great. So we're going to do this every Sunday. So just want to let you get you... I'll cut my sermon down by three minutes to, to make up for it. Or I'll ask the praise team to take a song out. No, I'm just kidding. No, just, <laughs> they'll go, okay. All right. Well, anyway, so... The the message this week was not. It was supposed to be the top ten aspects or characteristics of the return of Christ. I want to just dip my toe a little bit into into that type of of thing. But our friend Jennifer here, who's not here, and it's breaking my heart that she's not here. Uh, Brenda has been um, working with this young lady. And last Sunday, if you remember, I was talking about the top ten spiritual disciplines every Christian should practice. And number one was read and study your Bible. And she raised her hand. During the sermon, I said, what is it? She said, how do I start? Where do I start? What a great question. And I will take questions from the floor on occasion. I just assume you meet me after the service. but um, And, I, I, of course, I, my, my gut reaction was the book of John. Start there. It's the life and ministry of Jesus. It's the fact that he is the son of God. He is God, the plan of salvation. Start with the book of John. And so all this week, as I was looking at the top ten characteristics of Christ's return, I said, you know what? I said, we need to talk about that topic. It just touched my heart. So, obviously, your handout today is a two-pager stapled, um, because I got carried away. Uh, And so we're going to do tips to help you study, read the Bible. We're going to talk about what books in the Bible, if you're just wanting to start getting into them. Some of you have been Christians a long time, and you have a study plan, but I just thought we would do something today. We're just going to... Talk about the Bible today. I hope that's okay in a church. We're going to talk about the Bible today. The last part of the message, the last ten minutes of the message, is going to be nothing but Bible verses. I'm just going to read Bible verses, and you can just close your eyes. You can take notes. You can do what, but we're just going to we're going to bathe. If I can use that word, we're going to bask. We're going to bask in the Word of God, and with as little commentary as I can come up with, which you know is impossible. Um, but anyway, so we'll do that. So, top ten. Tips to read and study the Bible. First of all, get a Bible. That should be on the list. You know, get a Bible. You find a study Bible, a find, find a study Bible and/or a translation that you can understand. And I want to talk a little bit about um, translations. So let's go to the next slide. Uh, there are three different types of translations, and many of you that have studied the Word and are, are Bible scholars and students, you know this. But I'm just trying to give you kind of a, a little bit of a guide. There's three different. Um, the thought is, and I was meeting with Pamela today, and there's a triangle. I can do everything with a triangle. You give me a triangle, I can talk about whatever topic you want because I can always find three points. 
When I talk about financial planning, I talk about growth, liquidity, and guarantees. Of course, the Holy Spirit, or the Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I look at, you know, the role of a pastor, leadership administration, preaching and teaching, and pastoral care. I can do anything with a triangle. So here's the three, the three types of translations out there in, in the Bible. First of all, there's the word for word, also called the literal translation. It's as close as you're going to get to the original text is basically what it is. The word for word translations or versions are most accurately follow the Hebrew, the Aramaic, and the Greek text texts. Um, and of course there's the modern counterpart to this, which is of course the New King James. But the, the um more popular literal word-for-word translations in the Bible is the New American Standard Bible. That's the NASB. I didn't write them all out. New American Standard, the King James Version, the New King James Version, and the English Standard Version. The accuracy of the version is very, very important if you're doing a study of the Bible and applying it to doctrine. Many people's first choice of versions should be one of the more literal or accurate word-to-word translations because you're really getting into what the original transcripts were trying to say. So that's word-for-word. The next step would be thought-for-thought, also called meaning-for-meaning translations. That's the New Revised Standard Version, the New International Version, and the New Living Translation. That's what those initials stand for. Um, A thought-for-thought or meaning-to-meaning translation is useful in putting scriptures into a more understandable wording and is helpful in conveying the point of the ancient figures, the ancient transcripts, and figures of speech. For instance, consider the modern phrase, kick the bucket. 500 years from now, 300 years from now, if someone was translating that phrase, that idiom or that would not be around, so the person might put die in there or passed away. But kick the bucket, it was an idiom, and so what the NIV and others have taken some of those phrases and those idioms and, and, um, and uh, uh, cliches from uh, the scripture and moving it into a little more modern language. This is a meaning-to-meaning rendering rather than a literal one. Ancient Greek and Hebrew had such expressions as well, and in cases such a meaning-to-meaning translation is very helpful. Meaning-to-meaning versions are used more up-to-date language, and they're easier to understand. But they're not the absolute best choice if you're looking for a literal. But I always talk about the NIV. I tease it's the Nazarene International Version, but it's the it's not that. It's the New International Version. But they, um, they do... um, adhere as close as they can to the literal, but when they come into phrases that need to be a little more modernized or easy to understand, they do that. The last one in the triangle is the paraphrase. Paraphrase are great Bibles to read, but I would not encourage them to be your study Bible if you're looking for true doctrinal, true scriptural truths. The goal of the the, uh, Paraphrase, that's the Living Bible, the Message, which just shot into popularity the last 10 years, and the Good News Bible and others. Their goal is to make the Bible even easier to read in modern language. However, be, be careful because the translation is the putting the scripture in the author, the translator's own words. And we have to be careful because at the end it's very easy reading. But you will lose that was that literal scriptural interpretation and translation. It may be something to use as a compliment. 
to your Bible study because you're going, you know what, I'm reading that, I'm seeing that, I wonder what, you know, I'll just read the passage of the message just to get an idea of the, of the general um, purpose or the general overview of that, but it's not the word for word literal translation. Paraphrased versions, paraphrased versions can be consulted to better grasp the story flow, but should not be relied on exclusively, exclusively for study and or to establish doctrine. And remember, the authors will put their own poetic license into that. But those are your three types. I mean, my favorite, I'm not telling you this is the right, I do the New, New King James Version. Because New King James Version is the King James Version, it just shares thou and those to use and use. I mean, it, it just, it takes the, uh, it, it takes those, these and thous and makes them me's and you's. So I guess it's me and you. Um. So those are the three translations. So you know, when you're looking for a Bible, get a Bible, first of all. If you don't have a Bible, I'll take license here, grab one out of the pew. If you don't have a Bible, you need to get a Bible. If you're a Christian and you're professing to follow Christ, if you're not reading the Word, we talked about that last week, the other nine disciplines don't matter. You need to be into the Word every single day because all of us eat every single day to stay alive physically. We need to feast on the Word every single day to stay alive and healthy spiritually. The next ones, um, remove or to reduce distractions. Now, for many people, uh, that's easy. Debbie and I at night, you know, we're empty nesters, um, other than our dog whining every 30 minutes to go outside because she's getting old. But, you know, it's easy for us to go into two separate rooms if we want to be alone, if we want to reduce distractions. For, for some of you, your house may be absolute chaos. And it's really hard, but you need to reduce those distractions. So when I'm doing my devotionals and my study, I actually turn the fan on in my room because then that just blocks out everything other than the droning fan sound, which I love. I have to sleep with a fan. How many have to sleep with a fan on? Am I the only? Okay, I see a few hands. I'm sorry, Debbie. I know I have to have a fan. I have to have a fan on. And two of my three kids can't sleep without a fan on. So there you go. Begin and end with prayer. Pray for insight, for an open mind, a sensitive heart, obedience, thankfulness, wisdom. When you're coming into the Word of God, begin and end, bookend your Bible study time and your reading time with prayer. Choose a book in the Bible. Is it as another? It's just a tip. Remember, this isn't directions. It's a tip. Choose a book in the Bible or a topic. We're going to take a look at the books. Uh, in a minute, you know, to pick a topic. God's promises, worry, encouragement, comfort, and suffering, healing, the parables, stewardship, forgiveness. You can choose a topic and or a, um, a book in the Bible And if you're looking for some way to start. Many of you may be already in a Bible study um, routine, and so these are just things that you go, well, that's nice, Mark, but I've already got mine. That's fine, but I just, like I said, I'm dying here because I was hoping, Jennifer, I'm going to make sure I get a copy of this to her. Follow a reading plan. That's another thing. There are many published reading plans. You know, how to get, you know, read the Bible through the year, a chronological Bible, uh, devotional themes. There's all sorts of Bible study plans and Bible reading plans out there that you can take advantage of. And then as we talked about last week, the top three spiritual disciplines are read and study the Word, meditate and pray. Those three, boom, that was the other stop sign. If you're not doing those three, the other seven aren't going to, aren't going to really be as effective. Meditate on the passage. And I found that really great um, acronym. And if you're doing this, you're, you're meditate on it to focus on the Scripture, to understand, to remember, to worship, and to apply. Those are the things you want to do when you're meditating. 
journal, write down your thoughts. I am a very poor journal person. I have never written down things I wish I, 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 I would have. But I, um, but I, I, I encourage people. I know our youth pastor from our, our, our boys growing up uh, was uh, he encouraged to write down into journal. And so the many times you can write your thoughts, write what you are um, feeling, um, and what is being um, mentioned to, or being spoke to. I'm sorry, I'm distracted. I apologize. Uh, your inspirations, the applications on what you are reading. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Be open to the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. I mean, many times I've read a passage of Scripture, and what's neat about the Holy Spirit and the Word is that, you know, the Word, of course, you know, divides down to joint and marrow. I have speak, spoken and um, preached sermons and had people come up to me and go, did you bug my house this week? And I go, excuse me? They go, did you have a listening device in my house? Because... That sermon, that, that word spoke directly to me. And I'll have five or six different people say the same thing. Well, clearly I'm not the FBI. I'm not bugging your house. But that's what's so neat about it. If you open your heart and your mind to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you differently on a passage than he will to other people. Dig deeper. Now, this is where this is what started with me. I think I mentioned to you, maybe I didn't, but I was in a men's Bible study early on in my marriage. Uh, probably, maybe I was 26, 27 years old. The principal of my our son's elementary school held a Bible study in the school. I know, should have called the police on him. But he invited me to that to that Bible study, and I had been a Christian since I was 10 years old, and he was encouraging the men in the group. Most of them were new Christians. He said, you need to spend time in the Word. He gave the 1% challenge. He said, are you able to give 1% of your time, that's 14.4 minutes a day, or 14.6, 14 minutes and 40 seconds a day. That's 1%, 15 minutes, let's round it up. He said, is there any way you could put 15 minutes into studying the Word. And when he put it in that regard, instead of saying 15 minutes, when he said 1%, it's like, I can't give God 1% of my day. And that forced me into a routine. i tell you, the first few months, 15 minutes seemed like forever. It was, I looked at my, I'm, I must be reading 19 chapters in the Bible, only 6 minutes have gone by? That can't be right. But eventually that 15 minutes turned into 20 and turned into 30 because I just, I found myself getting, and you get a study Bible and you're starting to do the cross-referencing and the notes and the history and the context. All of a sudden you are, the, the word is just opening up to you in such a wonderful way. So if you start going into the study part, you want to dig deeper. You're looking into topics and passages and words and history and context. And then finally, establish a routine if you can. It's great to have a set time if you're able to to get into the Word. But those are just ten tips. So you, I googled it, and I, you know, there was a thousand lists out there, so I tried to choose some, one that didn't make the ten, because remember I told you, I always cut it off at ten, or I expand and I stop, was getting, you know, audio Bible. That was another one, is that if you really are, can't focus, um, Debbie works with special needs kids at her school, and there's many that can't take the test written-wise, they have to take the test verbally. And so if you can't focus on reading the Word, then get, it, get an audio and just let the Word be, be read to you. Maybe it'll be a James Earl Jones version. You know, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word, you know, so picture Darth Vader out there doing that. So, okay, let's go on to ten books. So once again, for Jennifer and for the rest of you, let's start about the books. 
And in my notes here, I go, like Fräulein Maria said in The Sound of Music, let's start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. When you read, you begin with... And when you sing, you begin with... Do, re, mi. Thank you. Okay. You know I often go off into pop culture. So this is not in any particular order. This is just ten books. Again, looking at lists from Bible sites and Bible study sites and theological sites. There's a pretty good consensus. Now these, you may look at them and go, oh Mark, I'd put this book in there. I'd put, absolutely. Do you know how it breaks my heart? Revelation isn't up there. But I wouldn't tell Revelation to have somebody that's just starting to study the Bible to jump into Revelation. But these are the ten books that have said if you want to get a solid understanding of the Word, and you're starting to dig into it, here's the ten books that was recommended. So I thought this was kind of cool. So Genesis, like Fräulein Maria said, The Sound of Music, let's start at the very beginning. Genesis covers the creation of the universe, the creation of the world, the creation of man, the story of Noah and the flood, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the establishment of the Hebrew peoples and the twelve tribes, God's promises to the end of the world, and ends with Jacob, Israel, and his family in Egypt. That's Genesis. It gives you the absolute very foundation you know, of the Word of God and the beginning of God's call on His people and setting, of course, the stage for the next book, which is Exodus. We come to Exodus, we get the 400 years have passed. Pharaoh has forgotten about the people of Israel and what God, or the, the Pharaoh has forgotten what God did through the people of Israel. So it's a miraculous escape from Egypt, the establishment of the Passover, the story of Moses, who was um, uh, mentioned in Deuteronomy as the greatest prophet who ever lived. And the establishment of the law, the covenant between God and his people, and then the journey to the promised land. All of that is encapsulated. Now, yes, you don't get to the promised land until the book of Joshua. You know, Leviticus and Deuteronomy is the law. So, I mean, there, but I'm just saying this is, gets you that capsulized um, story of the people from going from Egypt, God's miraculous rescue, the Red Sea, the establishment of the Ten Commandments, and all of the law. And then, of course, entering just prior to entering into the promised land. We move to Isaiah. The Isaiah is probably the number one of the major prophets. If you were growing up and you were studying the Bibles, you know, you had the book of the law, you know, you had the gospels, you had the major prophets, the, mi- the major prophets, the minor prophets, you had the letters. So you study the different sections of the Bible. The, the major prophets, Isaiah is the, is the leader. I mean, he just kicks it off. He's uh, served under many, many kings. He prophesied judgment on Judah and all the surrounding nations, but he was the one that announced the eventual coming of the Messiah. He was the one. John John the Baptist even quotes him. You know, make the way straight. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain shall be brought low. And he was the one, the voice crying in the wilderness. And Isaiah took a look and the virgin shall conceive and bear. I mean, Isaiah is an example of the, of the prophetic, the major prophet's writings. But specifically, he spoke on judgment, but he also talked about the coming Messiah. Psalms, a collection of songs, many written by David, but not all. Uh, some were written by the uh, director of music, Asaph. Um, includes praise to the Lord. And this is where if you think that all of the Psalms, if you've never, I've read the Psalms through four times. Because every time I read through it, I realize that 
It wasn't all, this is the day that the Lord has made and, and the Lord is my shepherd. I mean, he cried out. He got angry sometimes. Why have you forsaken me, Lord? Why are my enemies punishing me? Why are they, you know, why are you, why are, I mean, he said to, did a lot of whys. And so the Psalms is what's such a great collection is that it's about praise to the Lord, cries from the needy heart, worshipful adoration, laments, thanksgiving, prophecy, essentially covering the full spectrum of human emotion. And there is, if you're feeling something, there is a psalm that addresses it. And sometimes I have read a psalm and I went, that, I, I, that should be on a Hallmark card. Because, you know, you ever get into a Hallmark card and you open it up and you go, oh, that's exactly what I would have said. Not so much me because I like to write things. I'm a writer. I enjoy writing. So when I see a Hallmark card, Debbie will just go, find one that you like. I'll go look elsewhere in the store because I'm going to be there all day until I find the perfect sentiment. That it, But the Psalms, if you are going through something, there is a Psalm that probably has been written that addresses that. And then finally, Proverbs. A collection, these are the Old Testament. Um, a collection of moral teachings and general observations about life this book is written by Solomon. is directed to those in search in the in search of wisdom. Subjects include love, sex, marriage, money, work, children, anger, strife, thoughts, and work. Covers the whole spectrum. The neat thing about a reading plan with Proverbs is that there's 31 days in the longer months. Obviously, there's 28 and one and 30s and others, but you can read one proverb a day for 31 days. So you, and then you could repeat if you want to lather. Rinse, repeat on the Proverbs, but that's an easy study plan for the book of Proverbs. You just read one a day, and you can get through that in a month. In the New Testament, as I said earlier, it was start with John, because John is the ministry, the ministry of Jesus Christ is presented from the point of view that Jesus is the Son of God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And later on, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The book of John speaks, Jesus speaks at length of His nature, His mission, and His work, and the necessity of faith. In this book, Jesus Himself presents the plan of salvation. For God so loved the world, that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life for Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved he gave the plan of salvation he proves that he is the son of God through a series of public miracles and of course his crucifixion and his resurrection are covered the book of Luke you gotta love Dr. Luke Luke wrote Luke, he wrote Acts. I mean, he traveled with Paul, but he also was one of those ones who very, very meticulously, as a doctor, he was bent on making sure that there was factual proof behind what he was writing. It's one of the most dependable, they're all dependable, but they're one of the most dependable books. The ministry of Jesus is presented from the point of view that Jesus is the Son of Man who came to save the world. There's detailed coverage of the birth of Christ. Every Christmas Eve service, Everybody reads from Luke. I mean, it's just, it's standard. Jesus shows his love of, love of God to all classes of people, regardless of position, status, past, race, or gender. Of course, he's unjustly betrayed, arrested, and murdered, but then, of course, rises again. So Luke gets this wonderful narrative about the life of Christ. Romans. 
Romans, I was surprised to see Romans up there. James was getting close to the top ten, but James is a tough nut to crack as well. But Romans, this deep theological treatise written by Paul on one of his missionary journeys, examines the righteousness of God and how God can declare sinners to be righteous based on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Having been justified by faith, believers live in holiness before and within the world. And it contains the most complete explanation of the doctrine of justification by faith in Jesus Christ. It is absolutely jam-packed with doctrine. And it's a little more difficult read than, say, Luke, you know, or Psalms, but I tell you, Romans is, is deep, rich in doctrine. Ephesians. I love those four. I love Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I could just read those four books and just go back and just continue to circle. There is so much packed into those. But in these lists that I was looking at and compiling and taking votes and tally marks, Ephesians came up in the top ten. Salvation comes by grace through faith in Christ and not by our own works. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. The life Jesus gives to Jew and Gentile alike results in a new heart and a new walk with the Lord in this world. The church is the body of Christ, and marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. And God has provided us with spiritual armor to wage spiritual battle. I carry in my pocket a challenge coin that has the armor of God on it. So I never leave the house without the armor of God. Well, this is my challenge coin that reminds me that I am covered by the armor of God, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, the shield of faith. And Ephesians covers, of course, that near the end of the, of the, past, of the book. And finding, writing this letter, Philippians, writing this letter from prison, Paul thanks the church in Philippi for the gift they sent him. The gospel of Christ is now advancing in the world despite the hardships and Christians can rejoice. We are urged to humble ourselves as Christ did. Philippians 2, great passage of Jesus humbling himself as God down to man, even to the point of being crucified. We urge to humble ourselves as Christ did, be unified as believers, and find power and strength in Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 3.14. Or is it 4.13? Oh, I could be dyslexic on that one. And we press towards the goal of pleasing the Lord in all things. If you want a great summary, you can go to uh, gotquestions.org and then 66 books of the Bible. You can Google that and they list a summary of all 66 books of the Bible. It's a great summary. I took it and plagiarized it and then added my own notes in it as well. So now let's go on. I, 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 I talked about this a couple weeks ago. Is that I was doing a science school lesson. I talked about the ten verses that every Christian should know to lead someone to the Lord. And we, we've studied those, those ten verses. And then I said, well, you know what? There, let's talk about ten other verses in the New Testament because it's top ten. Well, then it resulted in ten Old Testament verses. And then ten, it went on for four weeks, this, this original thing. I just want to cover those ten verses. So I thought I put this all together, created a science school lesson. This is the first time ever it's been presented as a message, as a sermon. This, this sermon today is brand new based upon... Jennifer's question, raising her hand, where do I start? Every new Christian needs to be discipled. They need to know where to start. We just can't leave them asking Jesus in their heart and then go on and be wonderful. God will take care of you. Life is going to be perfect. If you say that, shame on you. 
No, God will take care of you, but life is not going to be perfect. I'm sorry, I'm getting two speakers going. Okay, Mark, take it easy. So we need to disciple new believers. We need to, where, where do I start? When you start a new job, they send you through new higher orientation to help you become aware of what you're going to do in that new position. Some onboardings are great. Some are terrible. I think as a church, we could always do better onboarding new believers because that is the start. They say in the, in the, in the, um, uh, the work world that the onboarding new hire process is the first step in employee retention. Because we all know we want to retain employees. Yes, you're getting a little business talk here. We want to retain employees because replacing employees costs three times as much as it does to hire one. So to replace an employee is three times as much as it, excuse me, three times as much as it costs to retain one. Because you've got to go through a whole hiring process again and the whole searching for a new pastor. Oh, I'm sorry. You've got to searching for a new employee and bringing them on board and training them and all those costs. So onboarding in a new company is the first step for employee retention. Discipling a new believer is the first step to that person growing strong in Christ. Sorry, that was a soapbox, but I, I just fully believe that we as a church, not necessarily Longmont, but we as a church, the church of Christ, the church of God, we don't do a good job of, of training people in the Word. We just don't. And that's a, that's a burden. I mean, I will never speak from the pulpit from a book. Oh, here's the latest Max Lucado or David Jeremiah book. I'll never speak from the pulpit from a book. I always have to speak from the Word because that's what you have to do. That's the only way we grow as believers. And it's the only way a new believer can understand what he, what he or she can do as a Christian and can grow. So, we're going to whip through these. This next one is just going to be verses. You've got the passages on there, otherwise it would have been a 12-page document. But take a look at those passages. I'm going to read them like I did last week. I just read the, the, uh, the Scripture verses around salvation. And we're just going to go through these. And when I run out of time, I'll stop. Here's ten verses everyone should memorize or be familiar with to lead someone to the Lord. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. But God demonstrated His love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. For if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. For salvation is found in no other, no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and your household. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. And so therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone and all things have become new. There's your ten verses, folks. It describes exactly how to lead someone in the plan of salvation. So those were those ten. Well, then we had to come up with ten more in the New Testament. I mean, try to pick ten verses in the New Testament. You're all going to disagree with my list. That's okay. I'm the preacher, so I get to do my list. So here's some strong verses from the New Testament. Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. A daily prayer before you start the day. Second Timothy 
all Scripture is, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him and who have been called according to His purpose. And therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and pleasing and perfect will. For in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such there is no law. But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer. That's my personal favorite. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that is in you. But do this with gentleness and respect. Folks, as Christians, we have got to be bold and have got to be courageous and have got to be willing to share our faith or to answer if someone asks us. We don't have to get into an argument, but it says always be prepared to share what you believe. And we need to do it with love and respect, but we also need to do it without an apology. We as believers and Christians, supposedly in this country, but we as believers and Christians do not have to apologize for what we believe. We don't. We don't have to be timid. We don't have to be nervous. We don't have to be shy. We don't have to be embarrassed. We don't have to be shamed. No. We need to be courageous on what we believe. Always be ready to give an answer when someone asks you for the reason and for the hope that you have. Because that's what we offer is hope. You know, to a dying, to a confused, to a scared, to a nervous world. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. However, as it is written, what I has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. Just ten sample verses from the New Testament. Now let's go to the Old Testament. Start at the beginning. Thank you, uh, uh, Fräulein Maria. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Folks, that seals it. Okay? We didn't create it through the Big Bang Theory or, the, or evolution. We could argue you know, all the different types of perspectives, but the bottom line is God created the heavens and the earth. All right? Don't let anybody convince you otherwise. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. I have the word I've hidden in my heart, but it's, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Your, lamp is a, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Deb and I in our house had this plaque and it said this, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Joshua said to the people, you know what? Choose this day whom you're going to serve. I don't care. Choose it. Just make up your mind. 
who you're going to serve. As we go into this promised land, you've got to decide who you're going to serve and trust. But as for me and my house, we're going with the Lord. That was Joshua's statement. For Isaiah, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. The Lord bless you and keep one numbers. One of the great benedictions. That's probably one of the most um, uh, quoted benedictions in the Bible. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Isaiah again, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. And they will walk and not be faint. And finally, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. The last page is just, again, on the handout. These are passages. They're not just verses. They're entire passages. That again, if you want to do a little bit deeper, you just want to embrace or memorize these passages, uh, this is um, the recommendation. I will tell you, we had a pastor... um, Back in Detroit, First Church of the Nazarene, you may have heard, if you're a Nazarene for a while, you've heard of the Parrott family, P-A-R-R-O-T-T, Les and Leslie Parrott, Richard Parrott, just a lot of parrots. Well, we had Richard Parrott was our pastor, an incredible guy, intellectual, um, not the most outgoing person, but a great preacher, great um, uh, memorization of the, memorizer of the word. One Sunday, his, his message, we had like two songs for the praise and worship. And then we took the offering, and then for the next 45 minutes, he gave the Sermon on the Mount by memory. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He started in the, in the, on the podium, he walked, was he dressed up? Did he have, okay, he was dressed up with, a, with like a Jesus outfit, and just roamed through the congregation, back up to the platform, and taught, just like Jesus would taught. But he memorized the Sermon on the Mount. I thought that was... In my days, I can't, I can't remember what I said five minutes ago. So it's like when I walk in every Sunday morning, the greeters are getting used to handing me my sermon outline and going, here, this is just so you know what you're preaching on today. But we need, we need to memorize the Word. Because the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, the Holy Spirit will call and give back to you the memory, what you have read and what Christ has taught you. He will remind you. So these are just other passages um, that I would encourage you to, to be familiar with. You know, that's it. I just think, again, God bless her. Pray for Jennifer and her her um, path that she's going through in life. Uh, I pray that all of you will fall in love with the Word of God. I'm going to finish with a little story. It has nothing to do with the, with the message, as you probably could guess. I can go anywhere. I was watching a message this morning by from Alistair Begg, an old, old message. And he and I when I talk about the spirit world, you know, heaven, hell, and Hades, and paradise, and the thief on the cross, where Jesus said to him, you know, today you will be with me in paradise. And I have my own picture of what paradise and hell, and paradise moved up to heaven, and all sorts. Maybe we'll talk about that at some point. But he said, you know, he said, I want to meet the thief on the cross when I get to heaven. He says, I want to meet him because he believed in Jesus Christ like five seconds before he died. And he said, I, I want to see him and ask him, how, was, how did that feel? You know, he was the first convert. 
I mean, literally. I mean, yes, you could talk about Old Testament faith and, and was credited in the Red, but he was the first convert. I mean, he, he, he believed in Jesus just before Jesus died. I mean, he was the first convert. And he said, today you will be with me in paradise. He goes, I'd like to meet him and say, how was that? What happened? And then he went on and said, I can see uh, the thief on the cross going up to heaven, which, of course, that's not what you do. There's no St. Peter. But he says, and, going there, and, and the, the, the angels in St. Peter go, well, what are you doing here? He goes, I don't know. So I was told to come here. He says, well, do you understand the justification by faith and the doctrine of grace? Um, no. Do you understand about the crucifixion, and the shed, or not the crucifixion, the shed blood of Jesus Christ and, and his salvation? He goes, not much. I, I saw him die. He says, well, then why are you able to be here? And his answer was, because the guy on the cross in the middle said I could. <laughs> and I thought, I mean, there's more to that story, but that's what it's all about. It's about leading others to Jesus Christ. And why are you here in heaven? Whatever life you lived, everything, why are you here? Like the thief said, because the guy on the cross in the middle said I could. Father God, thank you for your word. Go with us today. May all we do glorify you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.